Thanks for being here today. My name is Kevin Conover, and I'm your host on Educate for Life Radio. We're down here in Southern California on K-Praise, 1210 AM. And uh, if you've been following along, this show is all about defending a Christian worldview and really putting forth um, the truth of the Bible, right? It is, the, it is our, our light. It's our lamp. It's what helps us to um, live day by day uh, without stumbling around in the dark. And so there's all kinds of, um, you know, questions that people have about how do we know the Bible is true? Who put it together? Where did it come from? How do we know it hasn't been changed over time? And these are important questions. And as Christians, if we're going to be effective, if we're going to be able to be a blessing to the people around us and encouragement to them and, and kind of steer them towards, towards God and towards Jesus Christ, then um, the more informed we are about these issues and the better we understand the Bible and the better we're able to communicate um, these answers, uh, the more we're going to be a blessing to them. So um, tonight I have a wonderful program planned, uh, or, or this evening, sorry, I'm sorry, uh, this evening we have a, a great uh, program planned. And um, I want to just start off by telling you a little bit about my guest. His name is Robert J. Morgan. He's the teaching pastor of the Donaldson Fellowship in Nashville, Tennessee. He served there for over 40 years. He's also a best-selling gold illuminations and gold medallion winning writer with more than 35 books in print and approximately 5 million copies in circulation. He's been on numerous television and radio shows, and he speaks all over the place. I actually got a chance to actually hear him recently at my own church down here in Southern California, Shadow Mountain. Um, he filled in for Pastor Jeremiah, and uh, I really was blessed, uh, Dr. Morgan, by your, by your uh, message uh, in, in a variety of ways. But um, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, Kevin. I'm very happy to be with you. Fantastic. Um, I'm uh, um, recovering from uh, from some of this COVID stuff, but I feel good tonight. So it's a joy to be with you and to see your smile and to hear your voice. Oh, fantastic. Well, uh, I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about because you really um, are an expert in church history. And, and, you know, for a lot of people, as soon as they hear church history, they're like, oh, I'm going to tune out on this because uh, people think it's dry and boring. But um, from your own perspective, why is church history such an important topic? And why did you choose to, um, you know, make so much of your, um, spend so much of your time studying church history? Well, it's fascinating, Kevin. The whole story of humanity is fascinating. I fell in love in history when I was a freshman in college and had a professor who taught Western civilization. And he taught it as though it were actually happening right in front of us. And I just came to love history as a result of that. And then I discovered that the history of what God is doing in this world, both in biblical times and in post-biblical times, is the most exciting part of history. And then the whole story of how the gospel has gone from Bethlehem to Nazareth to Jerusalem uh, and then to Rome by the end of the book of Acts and now to the ends of the earth is a story of heroes and martyrs and bizarre people and blessed people and strange events and miracles and stories that really provide the foundation for where we are today. And mm -hmm. if we don't know this story, then we are just lost. We're like people without a foundation. We are like people with amnesia. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Christians in the pews today are like people walking around with amnesia and no knowledge at all of the history and the heritage 
that has brought us to where we are. And without an understanding of that, it's very hard to find our way into the future. So I do like to study and think about these things and share uh, these things when it's appropriate. Yeah, I, I feel like it's uh, so important what you're saying because you know, I'm working with 12th grade students. They're about to step off into uh, college and so forth. And um, so many people today in our country, when we're specifically dealing with America, so many people don't know the history of the country. Um, and so it's so easy to think, oh, this has never happened before, or we've never been here before, or there's no way to tell what to do in this situation. Whereas if we were to study history, like you're saying, um, there's clear lessons to be learned that uh, shed a lot of light on you know, what's happening today. Um, for those of you listening, um, robertjmorgan.com, if you want to learn more about him, he, he is the author of The Red Sea Wars, <coughs> which is a, a, a book that's over 300,000 copies in print, and it's 10 Principles for Handling Difficulty. And then recently, um, uh, uh, Robert, you published The Jordan River Rules, a follow-up to that book, T 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward, uh, which people can get on your website, right, if they're interested? Yes, they can get it wherever books are sold, or they can go to my website at robertjmorgan.com. And uh, all of our resources are there. And I have a, uh, a weekly podcast and a weekly blog and all kinds of things that, that we enjoy generating from here. So this evening, what we're going to be talking about is your book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, yeah. uh, that made America a Biblical Tour of American I History. I should have grabbed a copy of it there. I could have held up, but we'll, yes, we'll, we'll put it up there in the, in the uh, editing phase there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know, with what's going on in our country right now, a lot of people are either trying to erase history, they're trying to revise history, or they're, or, or they're saying basically, you know, with the, the um, CRT movement, which has been all over the place is that um, America has a foundation that's poisonous and therefore, the result is that our country is poisoned. This has been uh, the controversy raging. And you wrote this book, 100 um, Verses That Have Impacted America's History. Um, tell us a little bit about that and what, what caused you to decide, I, I'm going to write a book like this. Yeah, I don't have any, any patience at all with the revisionist historians. Um, you know, the... Um, uh, the 1619 movement, uh, which is trying to say that uh, slavery came into the American system at Jamestown. And so all of America is systemically racist and all of our institutions ignores the fact, they ignore the fact that the Jamestown settlement was secular. Mm. It was not a godly enterprise. It was secularist coming in to exploit the new world and slavery did come in because of the secularist into Jamestown. But the very next year, 1620, the Puritan migration began. And these Puritans, the cream of the crop of England, many of them, most of them graduates from Cambridge University, brilliant, brilliant scholars and people were driven out of England because of their uh, they were not Anglicans, they were dissidents, they were um, dissenters from the Anglican Church. So they were driven uh, out of England. They ended up coming on the Mayflower 
to um, to uh, New England, to uh, to Boston, to Plymouth Har to um, uh, uh, to Plymouth Rock, and uh, and over the next twenty years, there was a a flood of these Puritans who came, and they were staunchly opposed to slavery. They were for freedom. They were for dignity. Mm. They were, and, and they established, beginning in 1620, based upon Judeo-Christian principles, they established a beachhead for the abolition of slavery. And it took over 100 years, it took 200 years to, to bring that to pass. But it was the Puritan migration and the Judeo-Christian beliefs that came with those Puritans the year after Jamestown that established the moral foundation of our country on biblical grounds that ended up um, sending a torpedo into slavery. Mm -hmm. So these people that are revising our history and trying to uh, twist everything and take out the Judeo-Christian power of what God did in American history. I'm just, I'm sorry, but I don't have much time for those people. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, they're, they are uh, revising uh, history uh, in a fictional way. Yeah, and it very much seems like they're really um, kind of uh, cherry picking things that fit their narrative. So, uh, and ignoring overwhelming amounts of history that clearly show that there were many people who really loved God, who loved what was right, who wanted to do what was right, and who were fighting against things like slavery and oppression. And, and um, you know, it's, it's almost like they're shooting themselves in their own foot uh, when you, you've, you've got the solution here through the Bible and Christ, and yet um, they're, they're shouting down the, these, um, these truths and these, this the history that gives evidence of this. Um, was this the reason that you, is this part of why you wrote this book originally, or was this just something that you were passionate about and you, you wanted to write about? It was not in response to critical race theory or to a current trend. Uh, it was because the stories of the Bible's influence on American history are interesting. They're fascinating. Mm. They're wonderful. Um, when you think of the fact that George Washington uh, always understood that his supernatural protection was divine providence, even going back to the French and Indian War, when you realize that the only way that the American patriots escaped massacre was because of almost a miracle that took place when they crossed the East River mm -hmm. um, and, and escaped uh, the Battle of Long Island. Uh, when you think that George Washington later, when he was inaugurated, the first thing he did after he took his Bible, his hand off the Bible, was to bend over and kiss the Bible. Mm. Um, these people reverenced and respected the Bible, and the founding fathers quoted more from Scripture than they ever did from the French Enlightenment thinkers um, or the, uh, the French rationalists. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that all of the founding fathers were believers, uh, but even Thomas Paine, who was the arch anti-Christian um, uh, founder of the secular church as it was in America, knew and reverenced and respected the Bible. He didn't agree with it, 
but he, he understood it, he knew it, he had a reverence for it and for its ethical teachings. So we need to remember these things. The, uh, Kevin, I was uh, in grade school and I remember when the Supreme Court of the United States said that we could no longer read the Bible or pray in the public schools. I was a grade school child and we prayed and read the Bible every day in the public schools. And they said, what an awful thing that is. What a tragedy. Mm. What, what an evil thing it is that American school children are being exposed to the greatest book in all of humanity. And they deliberately uh, divorced the American edu educational system from everything related to the Judeo-Christian um, basis of morality. Uh, and now, you know, I'm old enough to remember when that happened, and I'm young enough to see what has come about as the result of it. So I'm all for, for being in a pluralistic society and, and recognizing that there's always room for a variety of opinions, but that variety of opinions includes the Judeo-Christian belief system, which to me is the foundation of America's moral greatness. Amen. You know, I, and I couldn't agree more. When I talk to my students about this, I say, you know, every country has, has an underlying philosophical system. And you have to ask, what are the results of that philosophical system? Uh, we can see that in India, they have yeah. Hinduism. We can see that in China. Currently, they have atheistic communism. We can see that in Saudi Arabia, they have uh, you know, Sharia law. Mm -hmm. And so we just have to ask ourselves, what, what was Christianity's underlying philosophical system that led us to the incredible prosperity? We have the most powerful economic engine in the world. Um, and yet, and that's, that's not the defining litmus test of what, what is great, but it's one thing among many that we have to reflect on and go, how did we get where we are? And if we don't, if we don't know what that is, we're going to, we're going to lose it. And uh, so it's just stunning to me, um, you know, where things have gone. But thank God, it seems like there's some people waking up and and uh, taking note. So, mm -hmm. um, so you know, in this 100, this list of 100 verses that have impacted um, scripture, you know, in your process of writing that, um, what are some of the ones that really stood out to you? If somebody were to say, you know, what are some of the the scriptures and the events that you feel were it's probably hard to pick the most significant, but, you know, maybe in the top five of the things that you were like, whoa, this is just stunning here. Uh, do you have any that jump out at you? The founding fathers very frequently quoted Micah chapter six, verse eight. Mm. Uh, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to walk justly, to love um, humbly and to walk with your God. Mm. And uh, that was probably quoted as much as any verse um, among the founding fathers. They believe that society should be based upon justice and humility and upon the ability of people to walk with God and to act out their, their Christian faith. Um, George Washington, going back to him, uh, when he resigned from his position as military general, and the war was won, and there were states now. He wrote to those leaders of the states, and he said, I can only pray that people will follow the dictates of the great author of our religion, Jesus Christ, with which, without which no one 
can hope to be a happy people. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are Washington's own words. Um, the founding fathers also love the image in the Old Testament of every person sitting under his own vine and fig tree. They believed in the, the reverence of private property, the right of people to, to have their own home, their own private property without Uh, being dominated by the state. And so these are some of the the basic principles that Jefferson was talking about when he says that God has given us all uh, these inalienable rights. Mm. Um, He was referring um, uh, to things that he had found in the scripture. And even though Jefferson is thought to be a great advocate uh, for Thomas Paine and for the abolition of Christianity, that really isn't true either. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin, he, you've read about his, the Jefferson New Testament mm-hmm. or, or the Gospels, where he, they say that he cut out uh, the portions of scripture that had to do with the supernatural, and he just left the ethical teachings of Christ. The fact is that Jefferson, so he did that on two occasions. And he so valued the ethical teachings of Christ that he cut them out of the Bible and pasted them into a book so he could study it. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily that he was rejecting the supernatural. It was that he reverenced the ethical teachings of Jesus. And we can see that in his writings. And I'm not at all sure that he was as uh, ardent and anti-Christian as Mm. the secular historians are making him out to be. And then, of course, as we go into the, um, the first century of the United States of America, it was Christians and people who were advocating for Christianity, like Wilberforce in, in England, mm-hmm. who led the fight for the abolition of slavery in the United States. Um, Lincoln himself went from atheism to Christianity over the course of his lifetime by studying apologetics. <laughs> and, um, uh, and it was his belief in the, the uh, justice of scripture that gave him the strength to follow through with the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm. Uh, Frederick Douglass, you know, based his, uh, uh, his fight against slavery, not only on his own experiences, but on what the scripture said about the equality of humanity. Mm. So in all of these ways, the Bible has just been at the core of the good movements that have helped America be a great nation. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's uh, so important. I Islam, you know, teaches specifically that slavery is OK. Uh, I mean, that's taught in Sharia law. And so you know, sometimes I'm, I'm like, well, the Bible is very clearly against slavery. Um, and and so. Uh, if I just feel that people don't know this, you know, the kids in the public schools, like you said, they're not able to learn these things. Yeah. And, and so they're left kind of going, well, we don't know. I don't know what that, I had a student just the other day say, well, you know, how do we know Islam isn't right? And, well, if you took the time to study it, you would know it's definitely not right. It, do, it doesn't, it doesn't take too far of digging before you figure out, Hey, there's some real problems here. And so uh, I just think people need to spend more time um, learning this stuff. 
And uh, if you're listening today, my guest is Robert Morgan, robertjmorgan.com. Please check out his stuff. It's, it's incredibly valuable. It'll be a huge blessing to you, um, both from an intellectual standpoint, but also um, from spiritually and emotionally connecting you to the Lord. And um, he's just got numerous uh, books that you can use to just grow your walk with God. Um, so uh, Robert, in your experience, um, you know, what, you know, studying church history and stuff, do you have a, a period of time that is your favorite to study? Is it, is it the church history, you know, during the, the time of, uh, of America, or do you have a period in the past that you, that you really enjoy studying? Well, that's a very good question, Kevin. You know, the 1800s was really the golden age of so much of what God was doing. It was the launch of the modern missionary movement. It was also the 17 and 1800s were the age of the great classic hymns and the developing of hymnody. And I love classic hymnody. Uh, I love the new music too. But um, I've written a series of books on the hymns called Then Sings My Soul, book one, book two, and book three. And nothing apart from the Bible itself encourages me like the great hymns of the faith. I was just this morning, I walked outside and I was singing to myself, rejoice, the Lord is king. Your king and Lord adore, rejoice, give thanks and sing and triumph evermore, which mm. was a great hymn by Charles Wesley. So these are all interesting things. This was also the era, um, the 17 and 1800s of the, uh, the fight against slavery and the Western hemisphere, which we were just talking about. Mm. It really goes back to the 1500s with Anto Antonio de Montesinos. Uh, I began my book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America with his story. The conquistadors came and enslaved the people. They brutalized the people. Mm. But Antonio de Montesinos stood in his pulpit uh, in the Dominican Republic and chastised and flagellated these landowners and these conquistadors for what they were doing. And he became the first great champion for human rights in the Americas. And, uh, and our fight for civil rights in the Americas really goes back to him and he was doing it. He said that I am like the voice of John the Baptist saying, listen to the way of the Lord. Mm. And, um, and so this whole period, somehow around the, between the 17 and 1800s, God did something that exploded the gospel mm. in this world. And that um, it's fascinating to study. Uh, when you study uh, Adoniram Judson and, and, um, and the missionaries, the early missionaries that went from England um, and from America, their stories are thrilling. Yeah. And, and so I, I think it's interesting. I think we need to know those stories. You know, Kevin, they used to have a lot of uh, missionary story books. Mm. When I was growing up, we read missionary stories. There were books that were published. And when was the last time you walked to a bookstore and, or, or just, you know, you, you saw a book about uh, what God was doing in the world through missions? Uh, we need to get back to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've noticed that history. It, yeah. It's very good. I, and I've noticed this in my own kids, you know, when I share with them the stories of, um, you know, the great heroes of faith, people who, um, 
did do incredible things. Uh, you know, we watched the the story of um, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, and all yeah. that he went through. And we see these these things that God did. And <clears throat> and for my kids, it's just incredible um, the way their eyes light up and go, "Whoa, I had no yeah. idea!" And they see these amazing steps of faith that these people took under incredibly dire circumstances. And uh, you know, it changes their perspective and we're inundated with social media and pop culture and everything. It's everywhere. And so as Christian parents and families, it's so helpful to paint that contrast with these uh, people who lived a life that's so radically different <laughs> than, than current American pop culture. Um, and so, yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying there. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, you know, when you were, you were uh, writing this book and studying it to prepare for it and so forth, um, was there anything that surprised you that you, you were kind of caught off guard and kind of like, Whoa, I had no idea that this, this was happening. Um, has this been a learning experience for you as well? Or is this stuff that you generally already knew? No, I learned so much. Mm. Do you know that the first shots of the American revolution, the shot heard around the world mm. in Lexington was fired at a pastor and his congregation. I Jonas, did not know that. I don't know why we didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Jonas, Jonas Clark was a pastor in Lexington. He preached liberty. He told people that God wanted to give them spiritual liberty and that we needed to have liberty and freedom of religion. Mm. When the Boston, uh, the city of Boston was occupied by the British, then Samuel Adams. Uh, and John Hancock fled because they were the two with a price on their heads. Mm. They fled to Jonas's Clark, his parsonage outside of Boston and Lexington. And they were hiding there for safety. And one night Paul Revere came riding by and said, the British are coming for Adams and Hancock. And um, so Adams and Hancock looked over at Jonas Clark and said, will your church stand up against the British. And Clark said, I have trained them for this very hour. Wow. And so, uh, so Adams and, and uh, Hancock went further into the interior to hide. And Jonas Clark uh, rang the church bell. The people of the village and his, uh, his congregation gathered together with their muskets. And when the British emerged out of the mist and started firing, it was at Christians and a pastor and his church members who are standing up for liberty. And when it was wow. over seven of his members lay under the windows of his church dead. Mm. But that was the way the American revolution started. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and people all, you know, uh, I love that quote by Edmund, Edmund Burke. Um, all that's necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, that's what the Bible does for us is it makes heroes out of, out of normal people. And um, all throughout history, I mean, it's happening now, even now, <laughs> as we as we speak and we do it, people are being inspired and motivated by the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and God's word to to do things that you wouldn't normally do if you were just looking out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, the greatest presidential speech in all of history, in my opinion, was the D-Day message that Franklin Roosevelt gave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When the Americans began invading Europe to retake Europe. And 
he called the people together. Uh, he was on the radio with the fireside chat. All of America, all of the world was listening. And he said, last night when I spoke to you, I knew at that moment that American servicemen were climbing the cliffs and beginning the process of retaking Europe. Now, he said, what we can do is pray. And his entire speech is one of the most meaningful prayers. I mean, that's all it was. He said, mm. Almighty Father. And he led in prayer for those men and for the dads and moms left behind and the husbands and wives and the children left behind and for the nation. And he prayed earnestly. It's probably the greatest moment in the history of the world in which more people were kneeling in prayer at one time mm. than at any other known moment. Wow. And he finished and he said, dear God, thy will be done. Amen. And you can listen to it, but you can hardly do it without it bringing tears to your eyes oh, to think yeah. of the president of the United States devoting the most pivotal moment in the history of that nation to calling people together around their radios on their knees to prayer. I don't oh. know that there's ever been a greater speech given by a president than that. Yeah, that's just, uh, you know, it sends chills, gives you chills um, in situations like that, where literally it seems like civilization is teetering on the edge of a collapse, you know, and it feels like, you know, when, when looking at American history, it feels like there were many moments like that, where literally it was somebody kind of standing in the gap, you know, and it reminds me of what the scriptures teach, where um, you know, God says, who, whom shall I send? And I've thought about that a lot. You know, I've thought about, you know, well, everything's in God's hands and everything's in God's control, but then he says, whom, whom will I send? And there have been times, you know, if you look back in the old Testament, there have been times where, you know, things fell apart and, uh, things didn't go well. And so it's true that it's all in God's hands, but for whatever reason, he's decided to use people who have stood up and said, you know what, send me. And, uh, you know, today's the day I'm going to make that, that, uh, life altering decision and take that big chance, right. That big mm -hmm. risk, that big step of faith, uh, is pretty incredible. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, um, stories that surprised me the most, Kevin had to do with Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. Um, he wrote a letter that was shown to me and I was able to get permission from the Reagan Library to put it uh, in my book. He wrote it from the White House on White House stationery by hand mm. to his father-in-law, Loyal Davis, who was a neurosurgeon, an atheist, and who was dying of cancer. And, Doc, and Ronald Reagan said to him, dear Loyal, he said, you, you may not like reading what I'm about to say. Mm. But he said, there is power and prayer. And he said, there was a man who lived 2000 years ago. The prophets testified about him and what they said came to pass. And he said, this man can help you. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he quoted John 3.16, 
and evangelize just like Billy Graham would to his father-in-law. Now, we don't see that side of the presidents. Mm -mm. And I'm not sure that recent presidents would have written a letter like that. But American history is filled with stories of men and women who truly believed uh, and reverenced and were God-fearing in their approach to scripture. Mm. That's so inspiring, you know, um, when you read those sorts of stories. And uh, my guest today is Robert J. Morgan. And uh, you can you can see his material at robertjmorgan.com, all kinds of uh, very encouraging stuff, stuff that's going to inspire you. And, uh, you know, it's really what's really great about it is that you've interwoven all these stories and stories are what, uh, you know, captivate our hearts and uh, move us. You know, it's one thing to hear a bunch of facts, um, but it's another thing to hear how that all is integrated into the daily life of a historical figure and to see the personal details of their lives, you know, um, that they were human just like us and they had to deal with a lot of the struggles we deal with. And um, are there any stories in your, uh, in, in the book in particular that are somewhat obscure, meaning, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there about George Washington or these b- really big figures, um, well-known presidents and, and so forth. Um, are, is there any, stories that are um, more obscure people that, that, um, you know, weren't in the limelight, but were more in the background. And yet what they experienced and what they did was still extremely significant in its impact, um, you know, over the long term. Is there, is there anything um, that that comes to mind there? Yes, there are. There are a lot of uh, people whose names you may not know, Mm. but they ended up playing uh, a big role in things. Uh, And then there are people like, um, well, Graham Bell, you know, who invented the telephone. Mm. Now, he's a, a, a well-known person, but there's things about him that we don't know. He was an artist. He mm. was an oil painter. Oh, wow. And, and, <laughs> and he was very gifted. He was, he was famous. He was prolific. Um, he would go to Europe. And because most people didn't go to Europe, he would replicate the paintings and the great museums and bring them back to show people. Uh, And his greatest desire was to paint the great paintings in the rotunda of the United States Capitol. And because of politics, they gave that to somebody else. Mm. And he was so discouraged by that, Mm. uh, that he gave up painting and he took up a new hobby. Um, I said it was Graham Bell. I'm sorry. It was uh, Morse, Samuel Morse. Oh, okay. Um, he took up a new hobby, which was uh, electricity and, uh, and the sending of signals over electricity. Yeah. And he was a believer. He trusted the Lord with that change. And, and so he created the telegraph system, the forerunner to today's great communication system. And his first message was what has God wrought? <laughs> and um, and his father, Samuel Morris's father, is known as the father of geography. He was a pastor wow. who uh, was fascinated by the world and by missions and started putting together maps and geography books. And he became the father of American geography. And his son, the artist Samuel Morse, became the father of, uh, of telecommunications. And they both trace their inspiration to the Bible and to their love for God. And 
and to their commitment to scripture. So, that is so yeah, th there's all of these stories here. I that mean, is, that is so great. I, 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 you know, it, it's stuff like that too. You know, I, it reminds me, um, you know, sometimes I study science and, and the Bible a lot because, because it's a topic that's common in apologetics. And if you look back over history, many of the fathers of the partic particular scientific fields, they were dedicated Christians. They loved God. Yeah. And, and um, it makes me think that, you know, when God begins to work in your life and he begins to refine you, a lot of the vices <laughs> that a person might have, they drop off and they stop wasting time. And so what ends up happening is they start spending their time more wisely and they end up, like you're saying, discovering yeah. things like the telegraph. And so you have all these Jewish and Christian um, uh, uh, people who have ended up, uh, you know, making amazing discoveries or making um, uh, being the founders of a particular scientific field simply because um, they're going to use their time now instead of it, spending it on a vice, they're going to actually use it um, wisely and to the glory of God ultimately as a testament to, to, to God. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. It, it, you can trace it back again and again. Let me tell you the most significant thing I learned about American history as I researched this book. The United States of America was created between two great revivals of biblical proportion. Mm. So we talked about earlier how the Puritan migration occurred in the 1600s between 1620 and 1640. Thousands, tens of thousands of Puritans came. But a hundred years later, their zeal had died down. Mm. And in the early 1700s, there was a great revival known as the Great Awakening that swept over the colonies, that united the colonies, that gave them a sense of spiritual and emotional oneness and almost everybody, I mean, every historian, even secular historians will say, if it were not for the first great awakening, the United States of America would not have come into being as we know it, wow. because it was that spiritual movement that paved the way for the political change. Mm. Well, after the Revolutionary War, America fell back into lethargy, spiritual lethargy, we got to a point where French rationalism had taken over the universities and the Ivy League schools. Uh, Americans were too busy now to go to church. They were starting a new country. Many of them had moved west where there were no churches. And only 5% of Americans were going to church. But then there was a second great awakening that occurred in the early 1700s. It began with the college uh, movements uh, along the East Coast. Uh, it included then the, the camp meetings from Kentucky and the frontier. But, but that second great awakening laid the foundation for the morality for the new nation that lasted until my generation, until the middle of the 20th century. So America came into being between the first and second great awakenings. And if it weren't for these spiritual biblical revivals, we would not have the nation that we have today. And without another great awakening, I don't think the nation can continue to survive mm. today as we know it. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, the, the amazing thing to me is because sometimes you look around and you go, wow, it's pretty dark. I mean, how do we get where we, we, we are, where, um, somebody can be fined and potentially, um, 
you know, put in prison because they use the wrong gender pronoun or something like this. You know, a, a business owner in New York can be fined $250,000 just for using the, the wrong pronoun. And we have just numerous examples of this sort of what we're like, what, what in the world? Um, and yet a student of history can look back over time and go, there were very dark <laughs> times and God moved despite that darkness. Yeah. That's, that's what's so encouraging about Christian history. Just when it thinks that just when you think Christianity is, is, is extinguished, it, it fans back into flame. Mm. Um, and I don't know what you're seeing, Kevin. I suspect you're seeing what I am. There is a young generation of zealous Christians rising up in this nation, young high school and college age believers that aren't, they're not going to take any prisoners. They are all out for Christ. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that here in Nashville. I believe that's happening. I, I agree completely. And, uh, you know, I just, I feel like when the darkness gets so dark, the light becomes so crystal clear. The, the contrast is so incredibly great mm -hmm. that it almost gets easier to make your case because, because you're like, well, you've got this over here, which is wildly off base and unhealthy and depression oriented and just full of pain and suffering. And then you've got <laughs> this over here. And that, that contrast is so blatantly clear that I think kids are, are grabbing hold of that and they're, they're able to communicate that effectively and, and uh, just passionately, um, you know, share the good news of Jesus Christ and uh, God's love for people. So um, I, I'm praying that that continues, you know. It's exciting. You know, it last is. year or a couple of years ago during the BLM riots, uh, there was some talk that maybe some of the rioters would come up my street. And my son-in-law said, let me bring you a gun because I don't have a gun. <laughs> I said, I don't need a gun. I've got my Bible. I said, if they, if they come up here, I'm going to go out on my porch and I've got my Bible and have Bible will preach. And I was all set to preach to those. I was, I don't want to say I was disappointed, but I was ready for them. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I don't mean to have some kind of bravado, but we have to have that attitude. That's Amen. just the attitude we need. And, I love it. Uh, it's a bracing time in this nation to be a believer. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And God, God inspires us, you know, um, through his word, through the example of, uh, people in history, um, we're inspired to go, Hey, it's my turn. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do the right thing. And, and, um, like you said, I'm going to hold up my Bible and I'm going to preach. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, that's awesome. Thanks so, so much for everything you do, uh, Robert. I really appreciate you and your ministry. Well, you're welcome, Kevin. It's been a real joy to talk to you. Fantastic. Well, uh, maybe we can do it face to face one day. Uh, I'd love that. If you're if you're out here uh, <laughs> filling in for Pastor Jeremiah again, I'll uh, I'll make sure to touch base with you. Well, thank you. We do have a lot of resources at robertjmorgan.com. I also let me just mention this in closing, Kevin. Years ago, I wrote a book called "On This Day in Christian History" that tells mm -hmm. 366 events from Christian history. It went out of print. And the publisher has given me the permission to give that away free. So if you go to my website and scroll down to the bottom, it will say, please send me something like this. Send me the stories from church history. And we will send those one every day on the day that that story occurred to your inbox absolutely free. And it's a, a good way of, of learning about some of the great stories of Christian history. And if you know any 
homeschooling families or Christian school teachers, uh, by any chance, Kevin. Uh, ben Sings My Soul and, um, and 100 Bible Verses That Made America. Those are being used as textbooks, and, and we just want to keep them out there. I love it. I love it. I'm actually going to eight homeschool conventions this year, so so um, I'll make sure to keep your name handy and, uh, and uh, pass out your stuff and recommend your stuff. So um, again, if you're listening today, robertjmorgan.com, please check out us. Also, he has a one-minute daily devotional. Um, uh, you're, you're still doing that, right? I am, yes. It's actually 59 seconds on Facebook and Instagram every single day. I teach through the book of Hebrews right now, but I teach through the Bible one minute at a time, verse by verse. So yeah, you can find me on social media. So if you're a busy person, you've got no excuses. You, you can do one minute. So uh, I love it. I love that idea. I love that you uh, do that. So uh, it's, thanks it's again. Also for, uh, it's also for families when they took in their kids to have instant devotions with their kids. Oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Okay. Well, Robert, thanks again um, for being here. And um, I'm sure we'll touch base again. And uh, it's been a big blessing. Uh, my website is educateforlife.org. If you're listening, all kinds of resources there that um, you're probably aware of um, that you can check out. And we'll be back here again next week. So it's been a pleasure being with you. I hope you have a fantastic week and uh, that you keep uh, trusting God and, and putting one foot in front of the other. God bless you. Take care. Have a good night.